This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Bible, please raise your hand so we can get a Bible to you. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11 this morning. And we are going to be continuing our series through Matthew, Forsaking Kingdom series. couple things, or at least one thing I wanted to emphasize or let you guys know about, kind of uh, um, an announcement that I wanted to communicate to you, is that coming up soon, very soon here, within the net, within a, you know, about a month or so, we're going to be relaunching our home groups. Now, we did life groups in the past, and these home groups are, are a time during the, the midweek that we can gather together and, and we can really have fellowship on a different level uh, we, we do want to cultivate community, but what's even more important than community is family. And I don't know how many of you, I asked for a show of hands in the first service, how many people feel like family when they come to church with us, but I am nervous because you guys, thank you. It, it, yeah, amen, hallelujah. And as the church continues to grow, I've had different conversations with different pastor friends of mine, and, and a church can get big and kind of get um, a little sterile. You know, it's just like you go to church to go to church and you go home, and there's not much of relationships that you have, and, and, and we want to make sure that we, that we provide an atmosphere and, and that we, we protect that for our, for our church as we continue to grow into a medium-sized church, and by the grace of God, whatever he wants to do after that, that we're well-connected. So we're going to be starting these home groups. We have a few locations that we're going to be announcing. Hopefully, you'd start praying about being a part of that as, as well, so that you can identify which group that you, that you can meet in, and you can be blessed by that. So the Forsaken Kingdom series, the, the title of today's message is The Coming One. The Coming One. And this doesn't just apply to us. It, it does in our text this morning about Jesus, which obviously that's what we're going to be talking about. But I, I think that we can really, in, in our lives, we can look at people or things or even programs to be the thing that answers the questions that we have that helps us get through the difficult times of our life. And you know, it, there's the, the, the one the right person for the thing, the, the right quarterback, the right doctor, the right president. Can I get a witness? The right sales rep, the right counselor, the right coach, the right husband, the right wife. And if we have those, that person in our life, then everything's going to come together and everything's going to be fine. If only I had the right this, or I had the right that, or the, the right podcast, or the right devotional book, or, or whatever it is, then, then my life would be better and my problems would be answered and I can move forward and everything would be okay. But that's not how we are to look at life, searching for something to fulfill us, the answer to that question is the right person is 
Jesus, you guys are good. The chosen one. And when we try to take something else, when we try to take somebody else, when we as mothers use our children, we as husbands use our wives, we as wives use our essential oils, whatever it is, (laughs) testify. And we place it in the place of Jesus, we're not going to get that satisfaction that he desires for us to have. And that's how we're going to wrap this up and end it. We're going to finish on that point and talk, not right now, but when we get there. But for you note takers, I'd like to give you three points up front so that you can track with me as we go through chapter 11. We're going to put them on the screen here for you. Point number one is the question. Everybody has the question. You have the question. I have the question. How is this going to work out? What is going to be right? Who is the right person for the job? What's going to happen? Point number two is the rejection. If you receive the answer to the question, then it's up to you whether you receive it and accept it or you reject it. There's many people who receive the answer to the question and it's the correct answer, but they reject it. Number three is the revelation. The revelation comes through accepting, accepting or acceptance of the correct answer. So as we work through the text this morning and we look at those three points, we'll wrap up with the answer, the reason for the question in the first place and where it comes from. But for now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for this gathering, for these people, for these brothers and sisters. And that when we do come here together, hopefully we don't come weary. Hopefully we don't come sad. Hopefully we we come rejoicing, knowing that not only are we coming into your presence, which we don't have to come here for that, but, but we're expecting to come here in your presence to have fellowship with brothers and sisters who, who we consider as family, the same family that we've been adopted into, they have as well. And God, we thank you for that time of worship where we can offer you the fruit of our lips. And and, and we pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words, but it would be coming from the abundance of our heart in worship. And God, the application of your word is we look at your word today and we go away from it. We pray that it would be like seeds sown in fertile soil that would produce fruit. And thank you, Lord, we want to pray over the tithes and offerings and that that the tithes and offerings would be done not in compulsion, but, but with a heart of worship that that is used to worship you. For you alone are worthy to be praised. Thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you bless it because it is blessed this morning here in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, we covered Jesus's instructions before he sent them out. He said, listen, this is what you guys should be doing when you go out. And and notice with me the word there, commanding. Did you see the word commanding? He said, it says that he was finished commanding them because he wasn't suggesting to them what they should do. Why? Why didn't Jesus say, hey, here's some good principles you guys could follow while you go out and, and represent me? Because just that, they were representing him. And Jesus said, this is how I want you to re- represent me in going out. 
And here he's concluding those things that he commanded them. He's sending them out. And he says that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent to two of his, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, say with me, in prison. In prison. And why is John asking this? This is the question. The question, point number one is, are you the coming one? Are you the one? And and this is interesting because John could have asked a lot of questions. He asks this question specifically, but who was John, this John that we're talking about? This is John the Baptist. This is the one who should have known, and we don't know exactly why. Some scholars and theologians believe that that his question was was born out of impatience in prison. Like, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the coming one. Hey, Jesus, are you really the one? What am I still doing in here? Why am I still in prison? When are you going to do the things that you're supposed to do as the chosen one, as the coming one? And I don't know about you, but I've asked that question myself before. Not specifically about Jesus, but being in a season of prison, being in a season of darkness, being in a season of desert, I have asked the Lord, are you the coming one? Why am I still struggling with this? Why is this still an issue for me? Why is this still an issue in my marriage? Why is this still an issue in my, in my career choice? Are you really who you say you are? Are you the coming one? And it, and it does make sense for me because, it, again, it is John the Baptist. So if anybody should say, you're the coming one, get me out of here, maybe it could have been John. Let me, let me say this to you. When you ask that question, be ready for the answer. Because that's the next part of our study that we're going to get into. You need to be ready for the answer because God, when you ask him questions, he always answers you. Whether it's in his word, whether it's prophetically through a brother or sister, a word of knowledge, God will always give you the direction. And we're going to see some pitfalls as we continue of not responding the correct way. Are you the coming one or do we look for another trying to figure this out. Are you the one that's going to take care of these issues? Or should we try to look for something else? Like I mentioned, the right person, the right thing, the right program. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Notice how Jesus answers. If the theme of the book of Matthew is very regularly this, throughout the whole book, this this kingdom, this kingdom of God, the the gospel of Matthew written by Matthew, an ex-tax collector who had forsaken his citizenship, so to speak, in Israel and identified with the Romans. And then when he meets Jesus and and he, he receives the coming kingdom of God, he rejects the Romans, the occupying enemy, to identify with the with the real kingdom. Now he's writing these things and we see them over and over again, right? 
Jesus' answer is very indicative of his heart for people. Is it a socio-political position that Jesus holds? Is he answering the question in the way that John would expect him to answer it? This is what Jesus, this is how Jesus answers the question. Look with me again. Hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is, this is not so much about a socio-political issue that's happening. Jesus is meeting individual people and ministering to them on their level. He's addressing blindness. He's addressing deafness. He's addressing the things that said the Messiah would fulfill, the coming would, would, would fulfill. But the point isn't so much what they thought he was supposed to do with kicking the Romans out and fixing everything. And the, We need the right president here. We need the right king. We need to get the right kingdom going. And sometimes we can minister to people according to our political disposition. And I know that this is going to ruffle some feathers, and I want to apologize, but I can't. But I can pray for you if we align theologically, but I can't pray for you if we don't really align politically. Because I don't know if you can have that position and, and really be a Christian. I've actually heard people say that before. That's such a blanket statement by saying, you're not sick with, with whatever ails you or struggling with depression or having issues in life because you're an individual that has issues and problems. You're struggling with those things because you don't identify with the correct political party. Of course you're going to have oppression in your life and the judgment of God is coming upon you. No, Jesus addresses the individual matter because that's how God wants to address us. Not in, in a blanket way, not the socio-political, socio-economic position that we hold. The Tao's falling, what are we going to do? We need to find a cure for coronavirus as soon as possible. No, it's, it's the heart of the issue for each one of us. It's that he wants to meet us where we're at. He's not fixing your big kingdom, he's fixing your heart. And that can be offensive sometimes. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Well, this is what my expectation for you to be and do, Jesus. And when you don't do it, well, if you won't take my body and drink my blood, then you'll have no part of me. Everybody leaves. Are, are you guys going to leave too? Where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What are we going to do? Like you're saying crazy stuff right now, but where are we going to go? As Jesus departed... As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I like Jesus' sense of humor. Jesus got jokes. Did you guys did you catch that? What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reef shaking in the wind? What's he saying? You literally go out in the desert to watch grass blow. Oh. Look at that. That's crazy. You see that grass blowing? 
He's like, that's what you did? You went out there to spend your time looking at grass, blowing in a reed in the wind? Or did you go out for a noble reason? There's somebody out there worth going out there for? Somebody dressed in fine apparel and clothes and you can have company with and, and maybe you can benefit from somehow? He, he, look at the contrast he makes. He says, you go, went out for nothing? You went out for everything? What did you go out there to see? Indeed, those who wear clothing, soft clothing, are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. We keep bringing this up. This does seem to be coming up regularly. Defining what a prophet is, a prophet is somebody who speaks the absolute truth of God. What's a false prophet? Somebody who does not speak the truth of God, who speaks something else, an untruth, if you will. So what did you go out there to see? You went out there to see a prophet, and not only a prophet, somebody greater than a prophet, somebody who, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among these bo- those born among women, there was not risen one, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about this. Why was John the Baptist the greatest of all men? In this context for Israel, Jesus is saying John is the greatest up until this point. Anybody else who was born, why was, why, why was John the greatest man born among women, of, of women? Why? It, greater, greater than Abraham? Greater than Isaac? Jacob? Job, Moses, Isaiah, think of all the Old Testament prophets, minor prophets, major prophets. Jesus is saying John is the the greatest. Why? Because he's the one that has come to say, this is the Christ. All of the other ones talked about the Christ to come as well, the Messiah. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those guys were all pointing to the future, all pointing to Jesus, all pointing to his coming. And it was always in the future. We don't know when it is, but this is the point. This is the message that we're preaching. One is going to come, and then here comes John. And it's no longer get ready because someday God's going to send the Messiah. He's saying, get ready because this is the Messiah. Don't miss him. This is the Messiah. And what happened was that he was presented to the people. The, the, the people were prepared to receive him. And what did they do? We're not quite to it yet, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they rejected him. He was rejected. You guys listen up. John's the greatest of everybody that you consider great because he's the one that comes before me prepares the the coming and presents me. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who was Elijah? He was the Elijah to come. Elijah was the one to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. To truly turn the hearts of the children back to their father. Because the father's heart is for his children. And this is 
what John spoke truth of, the, he, what he prophesied. And if you're willing to receive it, I hope you're willing to receive it. Point number two, starting in verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. Nothing is going to make you guys happy. We wanted to play the flute and play music and sing along with us and we wanted you to dance and you said, We don't want to do that. And we said, okay, well, if you're in a state of mourning, then we'll mourn with you and, and we'll sorrow, we'll cry with you. And we, we, don't want to do, we want to dance and sing now. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. You know, we wanted to meet you where you're at. We wanted to to facilitate an environment for you to dance, but you wouldn't have it. You know what this is like? This is like you husbands asking your wife where they want to eat out. I don't know, wherever you want. Well, what about this place? Not that place. Any place for that place. What about this place? Anywhere any over there? Well, I played the flu for you, but you won't dance. You can see the hardness of heart, the connection. I'm just kidding. I love you, ladies. I'm going to get rebuked later. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. John, I mean, it was maybe kind of weird, dressed in sackcloth and goes out in the wilderness and eats locusts. And they're like, that guy is different. That guy's weird. That guy must be demon-possessed. And then you have Jesus who came, and he ate and drank, and in his eating and drinking, they called him a glutton and a wine-bibber. I want you to go through the process with me. When is the last time that you saw somebody fast for an extended period of time? Right? I mean, I follow this guy on Instagram that fasts regularly, and I try to follow his story and see, you know, what motivates him and why he does it. But, but um, he's pretty skinny. You know why? Because when you put food in your mouth, you, you, you know, you gain weight. When you don't put food in your mouth... You lose weight. I was, you know, I've been doing the intermittent fasting thing for a couple years now. People say, how did you, how did you lose so much weight to him? I say, I found the secret. When you eat, you get fat. And when you stop eating, you stop getting fat. Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days doing what? Turning all these rocks into bread and chowing down like a maniac, right? No. He was fasting for 40 days. He was out there seeking God. Do you think that when Jesus came back, he was all swole? He's all ripped out of his mind and all, or big, you know, big old belly. He's come in and they're like, look at that glutton. What have you been doing out there eating this whole time? No, he wasn't out. He was fasting and he was probably skinny, but yet they would call him a glutton. When's the last time that you saw somebody like a little twig, like, you know, hey, hey, fatso. I say that to people for fun, you know, skinny people. You're looking kind of chunky. And they get really offended, but it's just for fun. Remember what Jesus said, um, and, be, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible. Why did they call him a glutton? It wasn't because he was a glutton. They called him a glutton because of the people that he associated with. 
It was because of the people that he chose to eat with, to break bread with. And who were they? Tax collectors and sinners. And if those are the kind of people that you want to associate with Jesus, then you must be a glutton. Huh? And, and Jesus drank wine, but John the Baptist did not, abstained his whole life. And because Jesus drank a little wine, he's a wine-bibber. He's a drunkard. This brings us, if I have not said it already, to point number two. Um, first, the question. Second, what we're covering right now is the rejection. We can't, we can't please you. You know, we're, we're, we're playing so you can dance. We're mourning to mourn with you. Uh, John the Baptist came without eating or drinking. Jesus came eating and drinking. There's, we can't please you. We can't do anything for you. When you receive the answer to the question, it's important that if it's prophetic, if it's absolute truth, if it's from God, your life is going to show whether you accept it or whether you reject it. Jesus goes on to say in, in verse 20, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Notice this with me. Does God work in your life? Can I get a witness? Anybody? Does God work in your life? God, I can say on a daily basis, God is working in my life. Very generally, okay? Does God work mightily in your life? Like I'm talking about like mighty works of God. I hope so. I want God to work mightily in my life. And do we respond differently to him when he does works or when he does mighty works? I think that when God does mighty works, we, we should be a little bit more like, hallelujah, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And we acknowledge what's happening. We acknowledge who you are. We acknowledge your presence and your purposefulness towards us. And, and we not only have asked the question and have received the answer, but we've received the blessing. And we turn it back. Yes, God. Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works, not just regular works, if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sidon, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. This is the absolute truth of God being presented to these people and they reject it with the power and presence of God at work among them. See, that's, that's the, the main point here, right? God was working. Jesus was revealing not just himself, but the Father. And there's some people that they just, it, does, it doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what happens. I've literally had multiple people tell me that they prayed as a non-believer. They prayed very specific prayers, saw immediate answered, and still don't believe. Why? Because if I really, you know, God, I want to know who you are. Okay, here I am. Okay, whoa, now the whole game's changed. Now, 
if I have an authority over me, if there is a God, if, if I do have to be held responsible for my actions, maybe I don't want to get into this game. Maybe I was just putting out feelers to see if there really was a God. Okay, I know, but I'm definitely not willing to submit myself to him. There have been people that have told me to my face that they received immediate answers to prayer from God when they asked for God for a sign. God, if, if, if you're real, I just want you to do this. And he did that thing and they still do not believe. These were those people. We still are surrounded by those kinds of people. If you ask the question, be prepared for the answer. And if you receive the answer, make sure you respond correctly in acceptance of the answer, not in rejection of the answer. Who's the chosen one? The one who touches people's lives on an individual level, on an individual basis. I think my favorite in there, we can't go through each one of them for lack of time, but I think my favorite in there is Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Why is Capernaum mentioned? What's so special about Capernaum? Does anybody know? Capernaum was Jesus' base of operations. It's where he lived. Capernaum is one of my favorite sites in Israel to go to because we go into the temple, the actual temple that Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah. And you know when you're there like, this is the temple in Capernaum that Jesus told the people he was the Messiah. Everywhere else you go in, in Israel, it could be the place. This could be the mountainside. That could be the area. This could, it's changed. Jerusalem is under, I think, like 20 or 30 feet of dirt that has accumulated over the years. But that spot, that temple is the one. And you know what? It's, you know, it's a bustling metropolis now. It's not. Is any, is anybody live there anymore? Not a soul. The only people who go to Capernaum are the people that want to go to those biblical sites. Capernaum was the area that after Jesus spoke in the temple, he went to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. And they built a huge shrine to it. Nobody lives there. It's just all for tourists. Could you imagine? The... <laughs> I know that this sounds, maybe this sounds like I'm over, overdoing it, but I'm not. But could you imagine, just think, Jesus is living in your little town. Jesus Christ is living in your little town. He's healing people. He's speaking in the synagogue. He's speaking to people. He's present. He's available. He'll go out and preach to other villages, but he comes home to your town. He answers the question. And the people say, no, thank you. Nope. They reject him. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to have a better time on the day of judgment than you are. Where I lived, I literally lived among the people. Point number three. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Oh, I love that. Every time we see some kind of difficult, dark kind of scriptures, you know, about judgment, because everybody starts squirming. Oh, judgment. Oh, 
you know, I don't like talking about judgment. In, in the Bible, is always connected with promises of God and, and, and fulfillment, future fulfillment of God's goodness also. And the very next thing he says after he says these curses is he says, thank you, Father, that you have chosen to reveal this to these babies. Point number three is the revelation. So you have the question, the answer, and if you uh, uh, respond correctly to the answer of the question, God reveals himself to you. And notice, it's not to the rich, it's not to the mighty, it's not to those who figured it all out, it's not to those who are worthy, the elite, it's babies. You know why Jesus uses babies? Because they're dumb. You guys don't think babies are dumb? Babies are stupid. They don't know anything. You have to do everything for them. You got to wipe them after they go. You, 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 know, you understand what I'm saying? I love babies. Don't get me wrong. I think babies are some of the greatest things in the world, but they're not very smart at all. Their level of understanding is very, very low. It's like, I've been saying the same thing to you for two years and you still don't understand. I was talking to somebody the other day, a, a friend of mine who said, I was the kid. I was the kid who my parents said, don't stick anything in the electrical outlet. So I went and got a, a butter spoon and I electrocuted myself by sticking it. I was that kid. I'm like, what kid? I mean, we all do that to some degree. But the point of the illustration that I want to pull out what Jesus is talking about is, is even those people who, who shouldn't have the understanding right? That, that don't really get it, that you could be saying the same thing to over and over and over again. God the Father desired to reveal to them what the world would, would call great, what the world would esteem as mighty and noble. We figured it out ourselves. No, the, the idea is it's a revelation of God. You people have the question, here's the answer. When you accept it, I'll reveal myself to you. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The Father and the Son are so closely connected that they know each other to that level of intimacy, and the revelation that the Father gives is also comes through the Son, Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. This is the answer to the question that we started with, remember? The question that we started with, what is the true answer to asking the question? What was the question? Are you the coming one or are you the chosen one? But what is the fulfillment? What's the application of that question? If you are, the answer's been given, the revelation's been received, this is the answer. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the answer to the question, guys. That's the answer for you. Is Jesus the coming one? Is he the chosen one? And if he is, your life will so reflect that, that his desire and his heart will be fulfilled in you in that you will have rest. You'll have rest. 
And, and if you don't have rest, go back to the beginning and start over again. It's okay. Ask the question. Don't be afraid to receive the answer. Choose the right decision when it comes to accepting the answer or rejecting it. So the revelation of God, of who God is, and his restoration from his son, through his son, back to himself, will bring you rest. You guys know everybody's out there in the world seeking and searching for some kind of satisfaction. Seeking and searching for some kind of rest. Seeking to fill that void that says that they're inadequate or that they're never going to have enough and, and, and they're always going to be struggling with those same issues when God says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my burden upon you. It's not burdensome. That's the answer to the question. And the statement of the question from God to us is... Have rest. Have rest. Rest is a major theme throughout the whole Bible. We can't get into it this morning. But, but God creates the Sabbath, a special day, with the, the whole focus of that day is just rest. And it, it goes deeper than a physical level, rest. Let's wrap it up and review those three points Point number one, the question, is Jesus the chosen one? Now, this is the general question that everybody has to answer, but it's also the personal question that you have to answer for yourself this morning and tomorrow morning. And every day that I get up, is Jesus the chosen one for the things I'm going to have to go through and deal with today? Yes, he is. Number two, if you put anything else in there, You're going to get in trouble, okay? Number two, the rejection. Will you reject him when he reveals himself to you? Because if you ask the question, he's going to reveal himself to you. And then the next question is, are you going to receive it or are you going to reject it? Point number three, the revelation. Are you weary and heavy laden? He can give you rest and only him, nobody else. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word to us this morning and that we can have confidence that you want to speak to us today. You want to minister to us. You want to, as we just read, your heart's desire is to give us rest. And we thank you so much for that. Pray for my brothers and sisters, God, that that they would ask the question. They would be prepared for the answer, that they would would choose acceptance and not rejection and they would receive the fullness of your heart's desire for them in the revelation in jesus name